Dr. Matthew Castro here at Central Church in Kyreville, Tennessee. I'm the adult ministries pastor. You are listening to the Church in Politics Equip class. It meets on Wednesday night at 6.15 p.m. in room 235. You are listening to Lesson 5, Politics of the Fall. Uh, like I said before, there's a roster going around. If your name's on it, mark it. If you're not, just write your name on it, um, an email address. That would be appreciative. Um, so we're going to talk about politics of the fall. And um, this should be very, uh, we should have good conversation with this. Um, so uh, were there any questions from last week? I know we all slept. And uh, any since then, yeah. Any questions, though, that you have that I can answer? Again, I slept. Um, basically, we talked about um, that really in the garden, there was a, a political community with God as the authority. Um, and Adam and Eve as vice regents, and they have a, they've been authorized and delegated authority from God to rule over creation. Um, and so... When we talk about so really it was kind of again talking more about institutions and political institutions and sharing how like that first garden was the first political institution. So um, politics are not just simply you know elections and and, and, and governments. It, to that at that point there was no state. There was just God as the authority in the, over the over Adam and Eve in the garden. And of course, Adam and Eve were given authority over the over the animals and then to subdue and have dominion over the earth. So they were to represent God's authority on earth and, and also lead or rule as he rules with, with righteousness and goodness and justice and holiness and have harmony with one another as you see with the Trinity, right? I would um, encourage you to listen to the audio version on the podcast for the longer version of said thing. <laughs> um any other questions that I can answer? You were going to ask a question, weren't you? Okay. You were going to ask a question, weren't you? Oh, no. I was just going to mention, you were talking about a funeral. And There's some chairs. We can get some. I forgot to mention that Nana just lost her dad. And as the oldest, she, it kind of falls on her. Oh, I think there should be some right here, in this room right here. Actually, those are good ones. Here, I can help you. How many do you need, too? Uh, yeah. Oh, Thank There's no rooms. They talk about this church. I know it's big and it's got a lot of rooms, but a lot of the rooms are small. We could just get rid of the tables and like. Let's do that. Yeah. There you go. So again, one of the things that I want to communicate with this is that. Yes, you know, when we think of the word politics, some of you in this room probably don't even like the word politic, right? You're like, oh, I hate politics. I don't even want to be in this class because politics is in the class. But really what I'm trying to communicate is that 
everything really is political if we understand that God is the creator and the, and the Lord and he has authority over all and we are then subjects and citizens in his world. Uh, and so we got to need to drop the whole secular concept of politics as politics are only like what happens in Washington or what happens in Nashville or what happens at the, you know, in the, in the mayor's office in Memphis. Like that's politics. Um, his phone. Um, so we need to kind of drop and abandon that. And so we're going to talk about tonight because really what, what in, the, is, in Scripture we see actually the inclusion of, of government. And this is a God-ordained thing or God, God has instituted that we deal with crime and injustice in our world. Um, and God does then mediate or give over the sword to another institution that he creates. Um, but he's the one giving it. So it all goes back to God when we think about politics. Um, so let's turn. I know last week we, got, we really kind of got into Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. But now we're going to go to Genesis 3 and talk about the fall. And um, can I get somebody to read for us uh, Genesis 3, 1. Can I get somebody to read 1 through 7? And then can I get someone to read 8 through 13? And can I get somebody else to read 14 through 19? <coughs> So can I give someone to read one through seven? Okay, good. Thanks. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which Yahweh God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, You shall not eat from it. You shall not touch it, lest you die. And the servant said to the woman, You surely will not die. God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Then the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. So she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves point of it. Yes. I wonder why the serpent chose Eve instead of Adam. Adam was standing right there by her. Maybe, so I got, I got a little problem with Adam, okay? Yes. I do. A lot. We talked about that in the marriage class on Sunday. Yes, yes, sir. How old were Adam and Eve when they failed? the fall. Did they already have children? You don't know that? No, no. He just fell off my pedestal. <laughs> you should have never put me there in the first place. <laughs> Why were they not shocked that the serpent was Maybe it was like Narnia. Maybe all the animals talked. <laughs> all of existence was pretty new to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe this is a, this is the normal thing. Maybe. Can somebody read 8 through 13? Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? 
Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? I, I'm going to get you a chair. We just walked the entire Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. Should come to sink of. <laughs> Can someone read the last bit there, 14 through um, 19? The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity, I always say it wrong, between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The woman, to the woman he said, I will surely multiply you to your childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. You desire, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain shall you, uh, ye shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Um, so there, you know, we could talk about Genesis 3 in a lot of different layers. Right? We talked about it in the marriage class about marriage. Right? There's so many different layers to this. Uh, one other layer to this is this is actually a political rebellion. Why is why would I call it a political rebellion? Because they didn't listen to the boss. That's right. They 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 didn't listen to the authority. Right. They listened to another authority, who is a contrary authority to God. Um, you also they no longer um, they they've kind of reconceived of their identity. Not as those who are who are subjects in his garden, but more that their identity is um, a rejection of of their authority underneath God, and now they have basically placed themselves under the serpent and his authority. Um, they also reject God's justice. God said that he was going to, if you eat of the, fr- of the fruit, you're going to die. Well, the serpent said, no, you won't surely die, right? So they ate of it, obviously not enough, not fearful of the coercive power and force and the sword that God, the authority, had. So there's that rebellion. They rejected his, his, um, his justice. Um, you also see the, the corporate as well. Um, they reject the rejection of God's ruled people. Um, they were to be under God as the ruled people. And that was their identity. Uh, that was the community. God is the authority. Them as 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 vice regents in in this community, um, and they rejected God's authority, and then placed the serpent on as the authority, and reinstituted or reidentified what their community was. 
Uh, so you have, really what you have is a, an attempt of like a coup going on in the garden where, where they're establishing themselves, they're rejecting God's authority. Um, and I've never been involved in a rebellion, but that's kind of what a rebellion is, right? You're replacing one authority with another, right? You're, you're, taking, you're killing a, or assassinating a king and placing another <laughs> king on the throne, right? Um, and so there's an establishment of a rival government that the serpent is really instituting here. And Adam and Eve go along and, and rebel against the Lord, and there's a, a, an establishment of a new political community that's happening. Um, you look at verse 8 of chapter 3. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden. Um, again, they've kind of, his wife hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees. of the garden. They're hiding from the authority. They're hiding from God. Uh, verse 12, the man said, the woman whom you gave to me, uh, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I, and I ate. Uh, you gave me this woman, and look what she's given me, and then I ate it. So in some ways, Adam is, is under her, right? She's the one that has authority over him, and he, she gives this fruit, and, and he eats of it. So, um, and then, but what ends up happening, though, as we get to the later part of this, this passage is, God still is, a, is still an authority, right? They've actually failed in their rebellion. They've actually failed because God still has authority, Hence why they hide from him in the garden, and he then curses them. He curses the serpent, he curses the woman, he curses the man. So what is he doing? He's using his sword. He said, if you eat of the tree, you will surely die. God is the authority, he's the justice, and if you break this law, there is a judgment on you. You're a criminal for breaking the law, and so he then curses them. You know, he's, he's wielding his sword as the rightful authority and king over the garden. Uh, and so he gives this curse. And we see actually later on in Genesis chapter 5, the consequence of the fall. You have a gener- uh, descendants of Adam to Noah. And what is common, there's birth, but then there's, there's death. So God is continuing to wield the sword. There is a consequence for breaking the law. And so therefore death, the authority, the ruler, is, is, is there is swift and, and ju- judgment going on uh, in this political community. And so this is, so after the garden, you have a kind of this, um, this kind of, in some ways, this, this, they're still under the authority of God, but they've kind of lost their citizenship. Uh, they've been kicked out of the garden. They're no longer allowed to reside there anymore. Um, and so the question we're going to kind of talk about tonight is, is God really still the authority? Is he still the ruler over the world? It, okay, so there's absolutely, he's absolutely still the ruler. His authority didn't change. What changed is their relationship with him. Okay, yep. And a lot of us don't recognize his authority. Right. No. Doesn't, right. Doesn't scripture say Satan is now? So that's an interesting point. So it, 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 there is a few passages that speak of that, but I think there's also go ahead. Limited, limited authority. authority mediated from God, and Satan is still under the authority of God. Yes, he does. He gives him a political terminology, a political <laughs> office, uh, but it's still under the. When Job is a great passage, right? 
I mean, God's the one that says, you can, why don't you consider my servant Job, right? But you can't touch him, right? There's, there's limits that God gives Satan when it comes to what he does. Um, so ultimately, obviously, when we think about the church, God is quite visibly the ruler over the church, right? Um, when we understand, the, we understand scripture, we understand the, the rules and principles about being a follower of Christ. When we talk about like you can, as a Christian, you can't just go out and do whatever you want, right? There are, there's the, the word of God that if someone falls into habitual sin, there is consequences of that. They have to uh, repent and, and, and you see Matthew chapter 18, if you sin against a brother, that there's, there's a process of reconciliation that you have to go through. And if you don't reconcile, there's a consequence, right? You're excommunicated, you're kicked out of the church. There is, so the church is even in some ways given that authority to judge a, a fellow brother or sister who refuses to reconcile and repent of their sins. So we see that God has, there's, there's clear places where we see God's visible authority over humans, especially, of course, in the church. But there is a, there's a tension there. There are plenty of passages that speak of, of God basically having authority or will have authority over the nations, making it sound like he doesn't have, like, authority over all the nations, right? Uh, there's a Psalms 103.19. Look at a few passages. I don't think I have it in here for you. But Psalms 103.19. Yeah. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Okay. The psalmist here, David, says, okay, he's the ruler over all. Over all the, uh, he's established his throne in the heavens. His kingdom rules over all. Well, all is a universal term. There's no one outside of his ruling and his lordship, and he's the king over all. Uh, but look at Zechariah 14.9. I think I have that in here. Yeah. The Lord will be king over the earth, over all the earth. And on the day, the Lord will be one in his name. All, one. So it's a future tense, making it sound like, okay, is he the ruler over all? Or is he ruler over some, and he will eventually have rule over all? Uh, so when we think about the government, like, is God really the authority over the United States? Or will he have authority over the United States in the future, like at the end, end times when Jesus is on the throne, right? Like when, when, will he, when does he have authority over the nations? Well, you get these both where he has it established already from actually from creation. He always has had this authority. And another, uh, uh, another, uh, another kind of layer to this is that he is establishing that rule. Uh, and we're going to talk about what, what that means and we see in Scripture that uh, he is over certain people, and then he's not over, uh, that he has people he has my, are my people, and then people that are not my people, right? We see this in the Old Testament, where he says, Israel are, is my people, but the Babylonians are not my people. Okay, so how can he be ruler over his people, and then people who aren't his people? Like, what, it's kind of interesting phrasing, uh, but we see scripture actually saying and articulating that, yeah, he is the ruler and king over Israel, but he also is still also the ruler and king over the Babylonians or the Assyrians or the Persians or the Egyptians and all these other nations. Yeah. Well, you know, the, he 
he's ruler and king over everything. But, you know, like it, it says that he gives like authority to some. Like, remember how Jesus would say, said, you know, Pontius Pilate was talking to him. He's like, well, you have no authority except what's given you from above. Right. So God is still the ultimate authority. He right. Delegates. He delegates. It's a, that's, and we're going to use that word a lot. There's a delegation of his pa- of of that of that authority. Um, there's a few passages of my people. Uh, Numbers twenty three twenty one. He has not beheld misfortune in Jacob, nor has this, has he seen trouble in Israel. The Lord their God is with them, and the shout of a king is among them. So he's the king over his people. But then he also talking about not my people. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. Psalms twenty two twenty eight. So. There are nations that he doesn't call my people, right? Israel was given that. He's the God over Israel. They are, I'm your God, you are my people. He never says that about the Babylonians or the Assyrians or the, or the, the Persians or the Romans or the Greeks or the Philistines. He never says, Goliath, you're one of my guys, right? We never see that in Scripture, but... We know, as we look at Scripture, he's even king over the Philistines. He's even the king over all these nations that are trying to conquer and destroy Israel. He's ruler over them as well. I've got a yes. You're fine. You know how the Bible talks about vessels of honor and vessels of wrath. And Correct. I wonder if, like, Goliath was created to be a vessel of wrath to mm-hmm. show God's glory. Mm-hmm. I may be yeah, I think it's well. I think that's well stated. Yeah, I think it's well stated. Again. We don't want to say that, okay, the Philistines were some, some rival government, which they were to Israel, and they were completely outside of God's authority. Because if you say that, then you're saying that governments can almost be formed independently of God. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight, that every government, good or bad government, is still under the authority of God. Um, and, and when we think about democracy in particular... Within democracy as the nation, uh, nation formed by the people, was sometimes what we say sometimes, well, it has my consent until I no longer give it, right? The problem is, is that we do not consent to a government. The government is authorized by God, and we are to support that government. And that doesn't, we're going to talk about tonight, there is, there is times where you have to rebel against it. When do you rebel against a government that actually has been authorized by God? Uh, go against what God says. against God says, but right now, the U.S. government does things that are against God's word. Should we, should we pick up pitchforks and go rebel against? No, we're too scared. Somebody we're too scared. If we speak the truth, nobody wants to hear it, Okay. You stand and tell the truth, they're going to shut you up and shut you down. Yeah, so we'll talk more. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so we'll talk a little bit more about that. So um, the biblical texts say that both that God is king over all and that he will be king over all if he is not now. They also say that he is king over all now and that he is king over some now. What then do we make of this, and how does it help us answer our original question? Is God king over all humanity in the fallen world or not? Yeah, because un- Daniel, Daniel rebelled and didn't, you know, he didn't bow down to the king. He didn't. He, he respected a higher authority. He did. And those of us that were in the military, not me, you know, would, you would, you know if your general, I don't know, Dewey, your general would be over your sergeant or whatever, you, you're going to obey if there's a conflict, right? 
actually and we see this in Acts yeah, 2. He actually faced the punishment, though. <laughs> he did face the punishment. You know, he actually, he didn't, like, rebel in arms. He just said, I'm going to follow God, and mm-hmm. whatever happens, so be it. Right. Because, I mean, he doesn't have the power within himself right. to conquer the Babylonian Empire, right? Well, what's cool, too, is, like, with Daniel, the, the result of, of Daniel's rebellion in the sense of the things that he faced in a kingdom that was not his own community resulted in the praise of God on the lips of a pagan yep. king, mm-hmm. of multiple pagan kings. Yep. So. Yep. Yeah, because the government, the Babylonian Nebuchadnezzar was being unjust. He, and we'll talk about like governments are formed for a particular purpose, as we'll see in Genesis 9. That was not its purpose. To set up a statue and make the people worship it is going beyond the jurisdiction of the government. The government is to give people, it's to protect people from evildoers, to then criminalize, I mean, to, to judge those who do harm others or break the law, right? Or break the, especially when it comes to other people's um, stealing what other people own or murdering someone or striking someone. That is a crime against an an image bearer of God, and they should be judged by the government. Um, But when it comes to this, setting up something of worship that's rival to God is not what God has stated that government should do, right? And so they're doing something unjust, and actually harming people who are actually doing what is right. So therefore, the view, what we're going to talk about is like, actually, they need to be held accountable. And that's where rebellions happen. You hold the government accountable to their injustice. Does that make sense? We'll talk more about that. Um, How is God ruling over human institutions? So we live in a fallen world. We're no longer in the the garden, right? The sin is in the world. Uh, Evil is happening in our world. Um, there are human institutions that are, that are, you know, we have governments and states. Uh, how does God, how is God ruling over those institutions? So, I mean, as y'all already agree, when we ask who's, who's over the American government, well, God has sovereignty over the American government. Um, regardless of what party is in, the, is in office, regardless. Because I think there's, a, unfortunately, there's a, a tendency to go, oh, you know, God's hand's no longer on this country because there's, a, there's somebody in the office that's, that's, that's a party that I don't support. No, God's still, he's still sovereign over the U.S. government, regardless of what party is in office. Um, and he is the one who mediates that authority uh, to, to those rulers, to earthly institutions, to human rulers. Uh, and his hand is not completely withdrawn from uh, from the from from the from those governments, yeah. Not only is he over the United States, which is supposed to be doing good, he is also over the Soviet Union. He is. He Russia. Let these people come to power to maybe keep us in check, and he's he is aware that uh, we are not following his laws. Yeah. So God has, God has purpose even when there's someone in office that we don't agree with or who we see as someone who is against God. God is still sovereign. God is still in control. He's still the authority. And it's actually advantageous for the government to recognize that authority. Yes, ma'am. I've always heard saying that the 
people always get the government that they deserve. So that just tells us what we we are getting what we deserve. We didn't stand up way back when, and now we're getting it. So there's a view of, there's been a view of like the two kingdoms view. There's the common kingdom and the redemptive kingdom. Uh, the common kingdom concerns kind of ordinary cultural activities, uh, embraces the human race in common. This is God's authority over, over all like nations and, and governments. Uh, that God is uh, preserving the natural and social order. Um, and this is how this is the common kingdom. So when we say that God is a, has authority over the U.S. government or the Russian government, we're saying that He is preserving uh, social order and natural order. Um, obviously, God's not worshipped and praised by the U.S. government like we see in the church, right? So that's where you see the redemptive kingdom. Um, and we do know that at the end of days, that there will be a visible representation of God's rule, quite visibly, right? Um, we see it already in the church because we see those who have been saved by Christ who acknowledge God as King and Lord and worship Him as such, right? But not everyone does that, right? Not everyone worships Him. They don't recognize God's authority. Well, they will. Either, either they'll be saved and redeemed or they'll be judged, right? And they will have to recognize that authority quite visibly, right? Uh, so those are kind of the, the examples of... John Martin Luther uh, talked about the two kingdoms of the, the inner kingdom and the outer kingdom. The inner kingdom is, again, that redemptive kingdom where God is visibly in control over the inner. Uh, the outer kingdom is, again, kind of this, the, the natural order and these things, but governments are the ones that really have visible authority and control over people. Um, but I, I think what, what I think the Bible is stating is that two kingdoms, as if God is, is really not really in charge or really has authority over the, the political or public sphere. Like that's Satan and the world. They're the ones that have control. God only has control over the church and Christians and Israel and these type of things. Uh, we, what, what I think the Bible is stating is, is that God is the Lord, period. He is the absolute authority. Why? Because he created. So he didn't like, he goes, oh, gosh, the fall happened. I've just lost all my authority. Uh, you know, hopefully I'll convince this Abraham guy and I've been to view other people down the road, and then maybe I can be a king again. Maybe I'll get yeah, maybe I'll get reelected, or uh, I'll convince Moses, and we'll be able to figure it out. We get all Israel out of the land, and then I'll finally have a nation to rule again. Like, that's, that's not how you should read the Bible. God is still in authority from Genesis 3 onward. He's still in authority. But it cha- there's something, it changes. There's a change that happens. And there's an invisible and visible nature to this. Did you hear our pastor Sunday morning? No. Distant pastor? No. Nope. You need to pull that up and listen to it. Okay. The big God, right? Our problem is not our problem. Right. <laughs> our God just isn't big enough. Mm-hmm. And that, is, that hit me so, so hard. So real. Mm-hmm. And, and then all this mess, we're talking about the government. It's like the dust. On the scales, it doesn't matter. Nothing. Don't tell him, guys, it does me. 
kiss me. Hit, hit me right between the eyes too. Yes, I mean hit me all. <laughs> So there's one king, there's one kingdom, there's one sword. It belongs to God. It was true in Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Genesis 3, and all the way into Revelations 22 and beyond that he's the Lord, that he's not like been kicked off his throne and he's trying to go build it back up again. Um, And so the sword of judgment was used against the wicked Right? We see that happening when we're going to talk about in Genesis with the flood. Like the flood is one great uh, example of God's sword wielding. Like he wielded the sword. He judged. And why did he judge? Because there was wickedness all on the earth. So as the Lord, he judged. As the ruler, he judged. Another way where God judged quite visibly is Sodom and Gomorrah. But also the cross. And so he wielded his sword, his wrath, upon his son on our behalf, right? So we would not have to face that sword. And so we see this constantly through Scripture. But what we're really going to talk about is that God gives different license to different institutions. So he does mediate power. Uh, and we're going to talk about where he mediates the power of the sword. He also mediates the power of the keys of the kingdom to the church. We see this in Matthew 16. You see this in Revelation as well with the letters of the church. That uh, the church has been given power of, of entry into the kingdom, right? That's why we preach the gospel. That's why we preach that our God is great and big. That's why we worship about Christ Jesus and the salvation we have in him. Because that's how you enter into the kingdom of God is through the gospel. Um, so let me just give you a few uh, summaries, and then we'll get into the, the, the Genesis 9 passage. Um, God rules over all humanity after the fall as a king over subjects with the power of the sword requiring obedience and worship. So that doesn't change after the fall. You're still required to worship and obey God. For Enoch, what did he do? He walked with the Lord. He didn't die, interesting enough. But he wasn't judged by the Lord, but he walked with the Lord. He was obedient to God. Noah was obedient to the Lord, right? He walked in the ways of the Lord, unlike most of everyone else, everyone else on, the, on the earth other than him. So you see that even after the fall, there was still an expectation that humans in creation would worship the king, worship the Lord, worship the authority. And if you don't, what happens? You're judged. There's a consequence. Um, He uses covenants to enact and publicize that rule. We're going to talk about one of those. Um, He uses common covenants to command all people to worship him by acting as his image-bearing citizens, Adam and Noah. And he uses special covenants to create a people who will model true citizenship and worship. And we'll talk about those. Uh, Let me give you what those are. Abraham, the covenant to Abraham, the covenant to Moses, the covenant to David, and the new covenant, the covenant in Christ. So as Christians, we are models of the citizenship of heaven. And we are, what are we to model? Holiness, worship of the Lord, um, service to one another, harmony and unity amongst one another, love and compassion towards one another. We are to model what it means to be a citizen of God's kingdom. So those are the rules and principles because we have a common king and a common lord. 
uh, we have position, we have possession of rules to execute of that rule, and there's uh, so he de- and he continues to delegate rule according to, and we see this with states and families and other institutions that we see in the earth that he's mediating authority, um, and he mediates authority to the church over Christians. Are there any questions about any of that before we move into Genesis nine? Anything that I can answer? These are all kind of things that we've kind of already talked about, but I, I want you to speak a little bit. I kind of understand it, but I had to look at it about three times. 3.22. And God said, man's going to be just like us. Oh, yes. He knows good and evil. Right. He's talking to Jesus of the Holy Spirit. It's got to be, when you, when you say us, it's God and Jesus. Oh, you're right. Man's going to be like us. Does that hit y'all any of you see it? Man's going to be like us. Mm-hmm. Just, you're going to know good and evil. Gonna, but it's not, and, and that was not what they were not intended to know good said, and evil. He said, we're getting them buggers out. Yep. They're going to live forever. Right. Yeah. In this state, that's not good. <laughs> yep. So let, turn to Genesis chapter 9. And that's where we're going to be in the rest of tonight. And... Um, If anyone knows their their Genesis history, what happens prior to Genesis 9? The flood. flood. And we know that the whole world was was judged by God. Um, Has anyone been to the Ark Museum? It's quite interesting. Yeah, sure, you are going. It's very interesting. Um, One of the things... I'll write this up. One of the views is the distance in years between Genesis 3 and the flood. So the kind of the generations, um, how many people lived on the planet prior to the flood. There is a view that there wasn't that many people on earth. But if you take the amount of years, the years, there's a view that it may have been like close to 1,500 years. And that there's a high number of people that lived on the earth. Millions, potentially. 1,456. You start with Adam and yeah, but the problem is, is that they only the Genesis descendants uh, uh, does not include all the people because it said they had other sons and daughters. So you don't have that number. Like you don't. I would I disagree with that number. I think it's far too low. I think it's far too low. Oh, you're saying years? I thought you meant people. No, people. You could have as many as twelve billion. Yes. You you had a large population on the planet. It was, it was more than a thousand people. It was more than like a little village. And you, yeah, and so, it, and you had people living long periods of time, right? So how many children do you think you could possibly have? I mean, I have four and I'm 39. <laughs> right. Right. It was not, let's, let's be clear, that was not, it's not a good thing. <laughs> Make sure we set that <laughs> set that production. I was gonna say, look at King Solomon. He had, like he was talking about multiple wives. Said he had hundreds of children. Right. Gideon had seventy. Right. There, I mean, so there most likely was a fairly large population on Earth, and God wiped them all out except Noah and his family. Um. So you get to all right. They get off the flood. What does we get to end, beginning of Genesis? Nine. Did you uh, ever know that? I always thought it was kind of interesting. Like, 
before that, it had never rained from the sky. There's like a mist, yeah, or something like that, yeah. So it was always just water and, and springs were right. water things. Right. Even more a step of faith than for Noah. Right. God's right. like, I'm going to rain on the earth, you know what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're gonna go by that law. Yeah, and I don't really want to talk a lot about Noah and the flood. So if you have a question about Noah and his flood, let's talk about it later because I want to actually go to the next part that happens right after. What? So we see in nine one through two, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, "Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth." Um, actually, let me read the end of, of chapter 8. I apologize. Verse, verse 20. Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered bird offerings on the altar. Verse 21. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intentions of man's heart is evil from his youth. So he's still saying the human heart is still, its intention is sin. Um, the flood didn't change that. Neither will I ever again strike down any, every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be among every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens and upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea and to the hand that they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I give you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat the flesh with its life, with its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require reckoning from every beast. I will require it from a man. For its fellow man, I will require reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. He and you be fruitful, multiply, increase greatly on the earth, and multiply it. Where's the, where's the passage? Am I losing it? Where's the passage of the rainbow? Is it in the next section here? Thank you. Um, verse 12, uh, he says, I will establish my covenant with you in verse 11, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and that never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign, the covenant that I make between me and you and your living, every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Um, so interesting enough, because these, these passages are, are connected here. So he says in the, in, in the end of eight that the intentions of the human heart is evil from his youth. That didn't change with the flood. So then you get to chapter 9. He promises, basically Noah is a new Adam because he blesses Noah just like he blessed Adam. He gives him, he tells him to be fruitful and multiply just like Adam. He tells him to fill the earth just like Adam. He tells him he has authority over the beast, right? So you see the similar language happening again. But then you see something different going on in, in verse, verse 6, well, 5 and 6. But he says, whoever sheds the blood of man, meaning that the human heart is intentions is to do evil. Cain has already killed Abel. We already have wickedness that filled the earth, and we had to, and I judged it with the flood. That hasn't changed the human heart. So... There's going to be, there's going to be a, uh, he's going to establish another institution in the earth that will bring retribution 
to anyone who sheds blood. So he says, by man shall his blood be shed. By man, not by God, but by man. Because you see later on, I guess I was trying to remember the passage, he puts the rainbow in the sky saying he will not wield the sword against, against the earth like he did before. But he's giving some, someone else authority to bring retribution if any blood of man is shed. So God is basically saying if blood is shed, if, God, if anyone kills an image bearer of God, I require retribution. But you're going to do it, not me. So this is, this is the passage where, you see, where a lot have used as the establishment of government in the state. The government in the state. Because God is giving a sword to someone else and saying, I have authority and I'm delegating my authority to you to judge those who shed the blood of man or shared blood of my image bearers. Does that make sense? Any, so this passage is seen as the foundations, uh, foundation of the government. This right here is verse, verse 6. Does judge. He does, but not, but he does in special cases. But the normative thing from this passage onward is that humans are to are to get retribution. And this is this is God is giving this authority to those who who commit evil acts against another human. Murder is the big one, right? Shedding of blood, harming someone else, stealing something else. These are all acts against another person. God is saying, you must get retribution. Now, what do you not see in verse 6? Again, talking about this particular issue. Exactly, how to do it. There's some flexibility. There's some flexibility. This chapter is interesting because it's the creation of nations. Mm-hmm. It happens like right after. Creation of nations? Mm-hmm. Um, so again, there, there's this foundation. So who had, God has authority, but now he's giving authority and he's giving the authority to do something in particular. And that authority <laughs> that he's giving over is the authority to humans to get justice when injustice happens. So foundationally or essentially governments are meant and are created by God and given authority by God to, to, to bring justice to acts of injustice. Does that make sense? So, so, yes, ma'am. So God is allowing people to judge. Right. Right. He is giving that authority over. Yes. He's delegating that authority. Okay. Is there an illustration of that? Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, any Next type crim, criminal justice, a criminal justice system, what is happening in that particular in that activity. You have someone who's committed a crime, right? They are judged by their peers, and then they're sentenced, right? What would you say? It never gets carried out. Well, well, no, no, no. That isn't always not. Don't be absolute there. That's not true. But sometimes it does not. They sit there for years 
So that brings up again one of the issues when the when when you have governments that weak on crime, like the current district attorney or the of Memphis is weak on crime, right? What you have is is that they're not doing what God authorized them to do, which is to criminalize to, to judge those who have committed crimes against others. And it creates what does it create? It creates chaos. The purpose of this, again, God, there's intentions of evil in human hearts, right? God is now saying, all right, humans, you are now going to wield a sword that I'm giving you to, to, to keep social peace. Because what happened prior to this was the wickedness, you know, covered the earth, right? And lawlessness is not good for anybody, is it? Go ahead. What's interesting is a lot of times we don't carry out the consequences because we want to be, quote, unquote, humane. And that's really interesting. But there is wisdom, and there is there's wisdom uh, in which how you go about using that authority that God has given. And as Heidi says, nowhere in this passage does it tell you how you ought to go do that. So... What's happened since this point onward is you have different forms of government being established. You have, you have kind of dictatorships or monarchs, right? One person wielding the sword. You have an oligarchy of a group of people wielding the sword. You have a, a, a representative, like a government of, rep, of representatives that you're basically giving that authority over. Like the people are basically deciding that we're establishing a government. And this is, they're going to make the decisions on how they go about wielding the sword. Go ahead. I notice that if we look backwards and forwards from that point where he establishes government, like you said, hands the sword to man to carry out his justice, you look at the first murder, Cain and Abel, and who was the one who dictated the punishment? It was God. Right. It wasn't Eve, Adam and Eve, you know. Oh, you killed our son. It was God. You, God said, you have done this thing to my creation, and this is your consequence that I'm giving you. Fast forward, mankind has become so incredibly evil, like it has just saturated the earth to the extent that God decides, everybody but Noah's family, I'm wiping you out. Yep. And I can't help but think that just like with the example of, you know, California or, or anywhere where the punishment for crime becomes lessened and not carried out it ensues chaos it does i can't help but think of that state the world was in of mm-hmm. there was no human government yet god had not established that in this way right. yet and therefore crime ran rampant Correct. and the world just fell into chaos Correct. to the point that god was like okay not only are we going to start over with more of a blank slate but now i'm going to create a new institution among you to try to help quell this situation. Correct. Correct. That's exactly what happened. Okay. Yep. That's it, exactly. And that hints why the issue is why nobody wants to live in cities that are, that are lawless. <laughs> because it, 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 almost to the core, it, it's you're, you're not following the obligation. God is commanding that humans, if blood is shed, you must you must bring justice. I'm, yeah, I'm giving you this authority. You're not following through this authority. You're basically 
rejecting what God is, is commanding uh, the humans to do. Being a light within our communities and being involved in politics is not something to be scared of, but to be bold in bringing the darkness to the light mm-hmm. and saying, "This is my responsibility. This isn't where I get, you know, allow the government to think for me, make all my decisions." Right. It's not given that authority to do that. Absolutely right. Not. And I think when we do that, we've taken ourselves out of that position that God has put us in. And we've just become servants to a ungodly constitution or institution, sorry. You know, and I think that we're called to be part of the game. And, and it is part of the game because they shame you when you when you stand up for what has been implemented. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, well, that's a difficult. At, at times, at times, the, the in, inhumanity. Let me read you this John Locke quote. Um, all that man, all that all men may be strained from invading others' rights and from doing harm, hurt to one another. The execution of the law of nature is put into every man's hands, whereby everyone has the right to punish the transgressors of that law to such a degree as any as as may, may hinder its violation. I think that's a better argument for Second Amendment rights um, than not just simply, well, it was in the founding documents. I think there's something to the, again, what we see here, the delegation, especially like in part, in part of the United States, especially back in the, in the 19th century where a lot of it was like rural, like Western land. Like you, you basically have to deputize people. Because if someone kills someone or commits a crime, well, they have to be held accountable by God. <laughs> Genesis 9. So therefore... You have people who own guns for what purpose? To stop lawlessness. That's, I mean, that's a better argument for Second Amendment rights than simply, what's well, the Second Amendment? That's not an argument. Rights. Yeah. And especially when you think about Genesis 9, that, well, who's going to keep lawlessness accountable? We, that's, that's an obligation of the people, not just, not just the president or a king. It's just given to all people, this command. Now, that's where the how you form a government that holds that sword. There is wisdom, right? You know, in the West, we have, um, we have democracies and we have more um, governments by the people. But that doesn't mean it says that that's the biblical form of government because the Bible doesn't present that as the biblical form. That, that's the form of government. There are plenty of occasions where monarchs do work, right? So in, but Moses went straight to God for judgment. Right, and well, Israel is a, is a special case. Israel is well, a special case. Leviticus, when God outlines the rules, like punishment for blasphemy, um, and he, uh, but he only gives that authority to Israel. So nowhere in this passage does it say, oh, by the way, you also, I'm giving you the sword about those who don't worship me. Make sure you kill them too. Make sure you judge them too. That's not in the passage. Yes, yes sir. I have always believed that God had a hand when our founding fathers founded this country. It just, uh, have you had got that same feeling that yeah. God yeah. had his hand on the yeah. country of the 50 or 60 people that formed our country? I just still believe I bet that I'm on. Yeah, so again, there, there, the, the American government, again, is not, um, it's still under the authority of God. Um, and we as its citizens, even when it's not as 
as great as we wish it would be. We still have to support and pray for it, right? These type of things. Uh, but also the, the, the special um, responsibility as Americans that God has given us. Not only has he given us a nation, but also land. I mean, the U.S. government, the land that we have, the resources we have, from sea to shining sea, right? Uh, we're not a landlocked country like Central Africa, right? We have resources. We have wealth. We have oil, we have natural gas, we have coal, we have all these resources that is a blessing from the Lord. Now, what are we doing with it underneath God's authority? He's he's the one that's given it to us. We did not manifest destiny of this thing. And basically, we've been able to, this is by our power and our wisdom that we've been able to achieve all that we have, right? Yeah. So when you were thinking about the Second Amendment and, you know, that argument that you were presenting, does that fall under, in your opinion, like the citizen arrest? Yeah. Yeah. And there are cars that, I mean, like, um, especially when it comes to your own land, right? <laughs> like, uh, and a lot of times, a lot of states and local governments have deputized people by giving them the right to bear arms. You know, hey, if someone invades your house, like, we expect that you are going to like, you're going to protect your family because the police can't get there fast enough, kind of mentality, yeah? Um, that's the unfortunate thing with some, some governments that have actually criminalized people who are trying to protect their own homes. Yeah. Um, so, again, the, uh, remember, like, within this, how should governments be formed? Some, so you, you, honestly, you can't make a biblical argument to say, well, it would be better if they were all popularly elected. You just... You can't make an argument scripturally. You can, through just human wisdom, make that argument. Uh, inheritance or conquest. Governments are formed different ways. And, but the, the major purpose is, is that God has given that authority to that government that's been formed. And, and, and they, have to, they have to wield justice against those who have committed injustice. Why don't we have the second amendment? Because when we were uh, fighting against the British, we had militias that were out there fighting, you know. The story goes that the British overcame them, won the battle, and then said, lay down your arms over here. They laid down their arms, then they stood them up in Rome and mowed them down. And that's the reason the founding fathers said, Number one, we've got freedom of speech. We can say anything against this government we want to without being shot. So to, to, to prevent that, the right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed upon in any way. And then you have, like, I think I brought it up last week, that the governor of New Mexico who killed both concealed weapons and carried weapons. And that's completely unconstitutional. So the fight is on. If they can get rid of the Second Amendment, all the rest of them are gone. Yeah. Um, no one has, again, this is given to all humans, but no humans inherently have, have rule over another. So like class systems is, is, not, is not biblical. Just because you... Just because you're a, a man with wealth doesn't mean you inherently have rule. Um, we are all given this responsibility, and the way that humans have gone about wielding this sword is forming governments. Um, hopefully that, make, that makes sense.
And God has used different forms of governments throughout the Bible, right? He doesn't necessarily comment and say, well, the Egyptian government is bad, but the Babylonian one is good. Israel has been placed in different governmental systems throughout the Old Testament. Nowhere does Scripture comment on that governmental form. But the purpose of, again, who is actually an authority? God. He then mediates or delegates that authority, and then that authority has the power to wield a sword against injustice. That's what we see in Genesis 9. Um, Let me make a comment about consent, because, again, um, there's a, you know, when we think about what is legitimate power, authority, what is legitimate governments, we really don't get to determine what that is. Um, we, we're in, we live in America. We have a government. We are to support that government. doesn't mean we have to agree with everything they do, right? Um, but we don't get to go, you know what? I don't consent to this anymore. Like, God is the one that establishes the, the authority. You didn't. It's, I understand that we're like, we, we elect representatives in these type of things, but the governments are not like, they're not under our power. They're under God's power. So um, hopefully that, that makes sense. Um, well, haven't we been given the responsibility in the Constitution to overthrow the government if it doesn't hold up to the Constitution? So the question is, when, do you, the question is, is when does that, when does that, when do you are allowed to do that? Yeah, I think it's a violation. When did, but when is it a violation? Romans 13, that gives us more uh, insight into what... Which, says, which tells us to honor it. It says to honor it, but it also gives us responsibilities within it. But, you know, we have like the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. Is that if you're living in a government that murders people and rapes the women and right. all these things, right. is that not a wake-up call? To, we got to do something. It is. You That's know. what I'm saying. There is, I think the, the question is, is, is if, if as an individual, when, when do you get to say, you know what? I don't like this government anymore. I think I'm going to, like, blow it up, right? Like, what, that's where the line, like, when, when is it, like, like, when is it justified to rebel against it? Don't you have to kind of define injustice, too? We're talking about wielding the sword. You know, we, we live in a culture that, that really, there's vast differences in definitions of injustice. Yes. You know, and there's not a, a good plumb line of absolute just, mm-hmm. you know, which we would define as God. Right. You know, so I think we have to be careful when we look at that um, and we look at injustice because you could you could go off in two different directions or multiple different directions with injustice depending on where your plumb line is. Right. Right. Yeah, and so that's where it, it's, it gets interesting about your rights, but like when when is it when is it justifiable to to then rebel against the government, right? Um, to to basically move to move the, to get rid of a government and then reform a new one. It might be interesting if you look at the revolutionary war, what was the one line there with the final? Or I always look at World War II. I'm like, if I'm Jewish, right. you know, and, and I want to hide Jewish people, right. you know, is that okay? Yes. And I would say yes. Yeah, it's life you know, over. I would yeah. rebel against my government. Because they're doing, un- they're doing things like they are shedding the blood of image bearers, of innocence. Yeah. And I think that's a really good place to start. <laughs> um, like rebelling is justified when a government fails to do what God has a, a, obliged it to do, 
which is to protect the innocent, to protect the, 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 the just. And, and when it starts to favor the unjust or supports the unjust um, and, and actually uh, punishes the just, uh, that's when you get, you're, kinda, you're getting to the point. Like the Nazis is a great example. Uh, hence why I would agree with what Bonhoeffer did. I mean, he was a part of the assassination of Hitler. He was a pastor. I think you have a government that is shedding blood, at a, and not only shedding blood, not sh- but shedding many people's blood. They have failed to do what God has called them to do. They are, they are an improper government. We also are shedding blood. And when all avenues of dissent mm-hmm. have failed, I think that's the time when we should... Mm-hmm. Yeah. And but you would have to take all the avenues of dissent. You would, yes, yes. And thankfully, we have a Supreme Court who ruled in the favor of the of the living, of the of the of the of the innocent, yeah, the unborn. Matt, we only have a few minutes, so if this is a tangent, then just shut me down. Okay. But talking about when it's appropriate to rebel against the government, my thought actually travels very far away from the U.S. to governments that are hundreds of thousands of miles away that we can look at. It's, it's, it's much easier, I think, to look at certain governments throughout history and go, that was just horrific. Right. That needed to be shut down. Right. So my question is, do you think, is there any connection between these rules for rebelling against, like, your own government, and when is it appropriate for us to militarily step in and overthrow other governments? Yeah, because well... they are... Yeah, it's like, for example, like allowing the Taliban to take back over Afghanistan is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But does, like, the Bible specifically say whether or not it's our job or gives, or does the Bible give us yeah. the duty or authority to say, you know, go conquer other nations that are degenerate and are, you know, killing my saints? Yeah, it's a great question. You know. It is a great question. Conquering, you're freeing. Yeah. In that issue, That's you true. were not conquering them. You were freeing them. Yeah, I, yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Like, yeah, Afghanistan and Iraq and these particular uh, issues where, and especially like you know, like the war against terror in particular, terrorism is is like that. That those those guys are killing innocent people, like not just Americans, but <laughs> but Muslims who are citizens. Yes, they don't believe in Jesus. We want them to know Christ. But these are like people who like work jobs, who have families, and they get killed and blown up, like get on a bus and going to work or going to school, and it's ridiculous. And they're they're shedding blood. They speak out against the government. They get killed. They get killed. And I and I do think it's proper for the for the for the rest of the world to go. That's an unjust government. That's an unju- those are unjust people, and they should be held accountable. I think that goes with Genesis nine. Injustice should not be left. Un, you know, judged, and so the wisdom of of governmental institutions on how they do that—that's where it gets it gets tricky. I don't think we have the authority to look at any other nation and point a finger. 
true. I feel like it's very no. hypocritical to say, oh, well, China's killing their children in one child rule. Yeah, I, I have no problems criticizing Taliban. No, no, no. no. <laughs> no yeah. About a yeah. We're going to go in and yeah. 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 Yeah, but I, I, but I'm, I'll be on, I'll be the first one to tell you. I, I think it was wrong for the U.S. government to allow Hong Kong just to move back to the Chinese. I mean, that you have a, you have a governmental system. Like Hong Kong was a free government. Now they're not. <laughs> and not only are they not free, now there's like you, you could like, there's no freedom of religion. There's no freedom of press. There's no none of this stuff. Yeah, um, and I think it's proper for the for the especially the American government to say that's wrong <laughs> uh, publicly. But I don't think a lot of these governments do it. I think they're they're too cowardly to say it because of 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 reasons like for a lot of American companies is that they need the Chinese. Cheap labor. They need the cheap labor. They need the they need the market. They need the profit and the money. And so basically, you're aligning yourself with the unjust for profit. Judge America and say we're a bunch of whoremongers and, and you know it's standing up for what's right. Yeah, I didn't get to all the other covenants. Um, it's okay. I didn't. Have, I, I had a feeling I wouldn't. Um, one of the things, especially with the covenant of Moses, the Mosaic covenant, you see Israel being a kingdom of priests and as an example of the world of a holy political community. A people who do recognize God as Lord and live holy and righteous and good in harmony with one another, and that to be a light to the rest of the world. That, okay, God is the authority and the Lord. Our, the governments need to re, re, re kind of, the kings need to kind of reevaluate that, oh, that's right, he is the Lord, he is God, he's the only true God, right? Look at Israel, look at their people, look at that nation, look how they worship the one true God. Uh, obviously, they failed in that that model. The church is also that model to the world as well. Uh, of, of, is there any questions that I can answer? Hopefully, that was that's helpful. Um, kind of what, where governments came from, who 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 uh, authorized governments, which is the Lord, um, and what their purpose is. Their purpose. Yes. Are you kind of like my doctor? I went through Monday. I said, well, I've got some questions to ask you. He said, well, I've got some answers, but I don't know if they're going to be right. <laughs> so I said, I'm not coming to you. It's a character. Well, you are too. <laughs> and of course, I didn't really talk about, and y'all like to talk about taxes. We talked a lot about taxes. Um, but uh, there is a certain view that, you know, government's, get taxes, and their, their use of those taxes is ultimately supposed to be about protecting the innocent and, and, and willing justice, right? Not to do whatever governments do with money, with our money, which is misuse it and abuse it. And I think so. we've just seen how important it is to have our eyes on Christ and trust that even though we can't trust the government, they lie, and they kind of push an authority that's outside of really what is our best. Mm -hmm. So in regards to health, and that's why one of the issues why we are frustrated as Memphis people who live in Memphis because of the lawlessness, right? And it seems like there's just the government's purpose is to to protect and present a, a society or an area that has has peace and order, 
and it doesn't have that. You know, and that's where you're like, ah, they have a mayor's race. Like, can someone please establish order, <laughs> right? Can someone that's please will? Yeah, in a lot of urban cities, yeah, especially. I think it was Monday that uh, the government passed $33 trillion. Yes, I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. Hey, I just wanted to add one comment on the issue of uh, rebellion and disobedience. Um, I think I think the line, and it's not like a perfect a perfect line, but I think the basic principle is that um, God gives authority, limited authority, to governments to do X, and when governments become abusive of X instead of protecting it, well, then we have a right and a duty to disobey that right. and address it because it's not that God says, okay, I'm going to pick you to rule and you can do whatever you want. Right. It's someone, some, someone is going to take up the mantle to X and that X is, is the authority, not the person who says, I want you to do X, Y, or Z. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not an issue of, you know, who the ruler is. It's what's the rule. What's the rule? Let me pray, and if you have any more questions, you can ask, and uh, I'll let y'all go. Dear Lord, we are thankful for this time to, to talk more about governments, Lord. And Lord, we, um, you have uh, established, Lord, that we are to, to judge injustice, Lord, that happens in your world. And Lord, we, um, with wisdom, Lord, we have formed the, the government structure that we have here in the United States, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that we would uh, vote and elect uh, individuals who see that purpose, um, and Lord, and understand that that authority comes from you, and they are under you, Lord. Um, and we pray for those who, for whatever reason, Lord, uh, have given up that 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 call, that command, that obligation, Lord, to um, to bring retribution on those who have shed the blood of of image bearers, Lord, and. Uh, and Lord, we pray that they would see the errors of that. Um, they are not a, an authority in and of themselves and establishing themselves completely independent from you, Lord, but they are under you. Um, and Lord, we um, desire, Lord, to, to, to see a government that um, protects the innocent, that um, um, fairly and impartially and swiftly and effectively judge um, injustice and criminals and, and criminal acts. Um, and Lord, we pray for solutions to those things. Um, Lord, we do live in a fallen world and um, things are not perfect. Um, and Lord, we, uh, we just pray, Lord, that uh, we would see uh, order and, and, and peace on our streets, in our neighborhoods, Lord, in our schools. Uh, Lord, we pray that we would see our city um, come to a, a, a sense of peace and order, Lord, where People can drive their car and go to a stoplight and not fear that they're going to get killed in their car or, or taken out of their car or their car stolen. And Lord, we just, we pray for that. We pray for the city of Memphis. We pray for the, the, the mayor and the, the elected officials and uh, we pray for, for other institutions that are involved in, in the city and the community, Lord. We pray for our, uh, the town of Kyerville as well. And Lord, we just pray uh, for those in, in Germantown and Cordova and Bartlett and uh, East Memphis and North Mississippi, Lord, and our entire Memphis area, Lord. We just pray for order and peace. Um, Lord, we, we know that people can get to church more safely to worship you when there's order, that kids can learn and, and grow and mature, uh, that people can go and go to work and, 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 and make money for their families. And, and Lord, just a lot of... 
lot of things, Lord. And they, also, we can just bring the gospel to our cities and to our streets, um, not fearing that, Lord, that we're going to be killed or harmed. So, Lord, we just pray for that. And, Lord, we pray that you would give wisdom uh, to our leaders and, and to the, the citizens as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Lesson 5, Politics of the Fall in the Church and Politics class. If you're interested in more information about Central Church, you can check us out at centralchurch.com and learn more about our ministries and our classes. And we hope to see you back 